from above the terrain and lakes of New England, propelling the Gospel Mission Aviation Ministries, presents to you the Mission Briefer podcast, where we will give testimonials from mission outreach flights, interviews of missionary aviators from around the world, on-site experiences and sounds of our Mission Aviation fly-out camps, teachings from the Bible, and updates of church planning and outreach events. So buckle up and prepare for takeoff as we seek to propel the gospel forward here, in the New England region. Good morning from Southern Maine. I'm excited to be with you this morning as we look at 1 John chapter 2 as we continually continue on to preach through 1 John expositionally. And uh, yesterday we had a wonderful time up in the hills and mountains of Bethel, Maine, as our pulpit ministry continues there. Things are going well. It's been just a blessing to be a part of the local assembly there. And I am grateful for the opportunity to preach God's word there with the locals in that area of Maine. We had a wonderful drive back. We got back uh, in time, in fact, for just a short nap before getting ready for this coming week. This week is going to be a little bit different for our family. Our oldest son, Bennett, who uh, goes to school, he's in kindergarten, um, They, the whole school district has actually decided to go to remote learning. Uh, so this this week will involve me a little bit more at home than usual, um, kind of leading and guiding my son through his classes. It will all be online. So we're heading into some new territory. I do pray it's not a trend. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the Lord's got a plan, and uh, we're thankful for that. But in First John chapter 2 this morning, the reason for revisiting this for a second day in a row, um, typically I like to, to record my messages, uh, mainly for my pastor and my mentor to to uh, review them. Uh, in my internship uh, with my pastor, and I found that it's pretty important to me that that he goes through it. He points out little nuances or or things that uh, maybe I'm a little off on. <clears throat> so that's re- that's the result for uh, the reasoning of why we're looking at First John chapter two. But let's start right in verse one. My little children. These things I write to you that you may not sin. So as we've seen the previous week in the previous episodes of this podcast, uh, John is writing to a group of believers. John also, some scholars suggest that uh, John is around 80 years old, maybe a little bit older, uh, when he wrote when he wrote this passage of scripture. So for him to say, "My little children," is uh, Pretty unique because anybody under the age of, you know, sixty is probably referred to as children. By calling us as children, it indicates that there's a parent in the picture somewhere along the line, a father. This actually solidifies our salvation with the Lord, and that it's complete in Him. One of the reasons uh, that that John makes a claim in chapter one um, for writing this book is so that we. Not only are filled with joy, um, but that our salvation is assured, and uh, thankful, thankful for that. McDonald says this uh, in his commentary: "The little children refers to all the family of God. God's perfect standard is then set forth in the words, 
these things I write to you, that you may not sin. Because God is perfect, his standards for his people is absolute perfection. Now some of us may hear that and go, well, hold up. <laughs> but he continues, McDonald says, he would not be God if he said, these things I write to you so that you sin just a little. God cannot condone sin in the least degree. And so he sets perfection before us as the goal. The Lord Jesus did this with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. At the same time, the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are just, and so he has graciously made provision for us in the event of failure. This is expressed in the words, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And you can see that uh, in, in uh, the end of verse 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I want to camp out there for just a few moments. All of which John has written in the previous chapter and the chapters to come is that we may not sin. We are about to see he's not saying we are never to sin, but in fact, sin less. In verse 6 of chapter 1 of 1 John, he talks about practice of the truth. Practicing to sin less. A trend that says our goal is to sin less. We have we have an advocate. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the other most, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's the purpose. And then two chapters over in Hebrews 9, For Christ has not entered the holy place, holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. An advocate. Yesterday morning, we, we in Sunday school, we were looking at the wrath of God as an attribute of God, and, and how sometimes that is hard to, to describe to an unbeliever. And in that, even in that attribute, God is right and just in, in judging that way. And he will be for those, for those that do not turn to him. Uh, the, the eternal uh, payment of that life that never turns to Christ is eternal hell. People usually don't like talking about hell, and that, that came up yesterday. Um, but we must preach the whole Bible. And without an advocate, without accepting the advocate, that is that is the result. John 14 uh, says this in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. 
and greater works than he than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, then I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, we've seen that word pop up in First John chapter 1, manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present in the world. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I live with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. For that world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. I love that, that last statement, arise, let us go from here. Because Christ is human, as well as divine, he can sympathize with our human frailties, quoted by Norman Gesler. He, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 says, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always makes intercession for them. Galatians 5, 20 says, 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against their, such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh of its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So he is our advocate. And if you are out there today listening to this podcast, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I want you to know that for all of the sin in your life, for every sin, there is a debt to be paid. And God is totally just and right and righteous. 
to send you exactly where you where I deserve to be eternally. God cannot look down to sin. God cannot associate with sin. We saw that in chapter one. God has no shadowing around him. He is in complete light. He is the light. But he didn't stop there. He provided a bridge through his son Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the advocate. Someone who stands in your place and says, you are guilty. But I'm going to buy that debt for you. It's the only time that loan forgiveness has truly worked. A lot of us probably get phone calls. Those those of us that are younger and have graduated more recently in the last five to seven years, we get those phone calls that say, hey, you are approved for loan forgiveness. And once you go through the prompt, you just find out that that you are not actually approved for loan forgiveness. <laughs> God sent his son. In the next verse, in 1 John chapter 2, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Not only does he send an advocate, but the advocate that he sends is referred to as the Spirit. What a great example. What a promise. And then verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The definition of a propitiation out of the dictionary is literally atonement, especially that of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how many people in our world today look to the dictionary, the Webster Dictionary, in fact, for definition. And in that same book, the definition, he says atonement, especially that of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation for his blood through faith to demonstrate, demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously. That's the pattern. He, he gives us examples. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Hebrews 17 says this Therefore, in all things, he had made to be like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make, what? Propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Not only is there, is, is there a pattern, not only is he an example, but he can relate to some of the things that we go through. 
And then going back to 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to head to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also ought to love one another. Again, John's um, backstory or back message underlying this entire book um, is that we ought to love one another. Not only is he our advocate and propitiation, he is also the perfect pattern for our daily life. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then it is important to note, although though much discussion and much controversy and differences are among this verse, but at the end of verse 2 it says, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. I've got some great friends out there, um, and we are friends, and we'll be, the goal is that we're friends until eternity and through eternity. But there are differences out there. And and the idea that, that Christ only died for a certain elect um, is the belief of many. And I love those people that, that, that lean that way. Um, but on the flip side, I will, for transparency reasons, say um, I believe that there is plenty of scripture to back up the fact that Jesus died for the world. And I'll leave it at leave it there. This is not a a message totally on the differences on soteriology um, or uh, Calvinism. Um, but right there, it says, "And not for ours only, but also for the whole world." The way I look at it is is for this loan forgiveness plan that God is is putting in place and did put in place. Um, there are no terms. It's offered everyone. And then we, we go down in the verse 3. Now by this we know that we, that we know him if we keep our commandments. We, we, we take a sidestep into knowing him. And the goal of knowing him is, is my last point, in abiding in him. Where Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. John 13, 15 says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. John 15, 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 1 Peter 2, 21. I actually want to physically flip there. I want you to see something. A beautiful picture. 1 Peter 2, 21. But to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, who was decent, whose deceit found, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died for sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes 
you were healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Folks, we have an advocate. And he invites us through the Son to abide in him. It's important to focus on the little words like in or within that are written in Scripture. Go back up to verse 22. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. This is beyond what we can even comprehend in our finite brains. And then, and then look at verse 23. He who then was reviled did not revile in return. And he suffered. <laughs> he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. By those stripes, by those stripes, you were healed. And looking at verse 23, all those things that he did not do in return is probably the most anti-American response that we've seen, that we will ever see. He didn't do anything in return. God has made provisions for us in these ways to conquer sin. Sir Walter Scott penned these words. Oh, what tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. That life that is real cannot be built on things that are deceptive. Before we can walk in the light, we must know ourselves, accept ourselves, and yield ourselves to God. It is foolish to try to deceive others because God already knows what we really are. John makes it clear that life that is real has no love for sin. There's a congregation once, uh, they were singing a closing hymn, a familiar song, For I Am Praying. The speaker turned to a man on the platform and asked quietly, For whom are you praying? The man was stunned. Really? We're, we're going to talk about this now? Why, I guess I'm not praying for anybody. Why do you ask? Well, I just heard you say, for I am praying. And I thought you meant it, the preacher replied. Oh, no, said the man. I'm just singing. Wearsby calls this pious talk. A religion of words. To paraphrase James 1.22, we should be doers of the word as well as talkers of the word. We must walk the talk. It is not enough to know the language. We must also live the life. If we say then, we ought to also do. Folks, it's important that the world sees authentic Christians. And there will be times of, of failure where our frailty really shows. But we need to be authentic. We need to be practicing in the truth. Our goal is to sin less. We need to not only speak the language, but do it. This past hunting season, I had the, the great privilege of, of driving up to Bethel and hunting multiple days up there in the mountains, uh, thanks to Jim and Sharon, part of the church up there in Bethel. And you know, sitting there and, and watching the sun come up over the presidential mountains and a little bit of snow spitting and turkeys going by. Just a great time to be alone with the Father. And, you know, I looked down at this new deer call I bought and it said, Speak the language. It's funny how no deer actually responded. But if we're going to try to speak to them, we also need to, need to 
here's the big idea. Moving forward as a church, more I'm focusing more on the context of Pleasant Valley. But the big idea is so that we may not sin and ultimately abide in him. It's important that we abide in him and, and as an outpouring of all that, that those who are outside may see God in us. We have an advocate. Praise the Lord for it. One that is sinless. One that is seamless. One that, that has no deceit. An advocate. Somebody to stand in our place. We have that. So as you go into this new week, how are you going to focus on sinning less? How are you going to focus on, on staying in the light with your Father and fellowshipping with Him? Just one chapter before it ended with, so that your joy may be full. Yeah, this may be a commandment, this may be commitment. But it's so that your joy may be full, even during the darkest Joy may be full. So as you go through this week, I challenge you to focus not only on reading the word, but rather being full. I pray you have a wonderful week ahead. And you stay in the word. As it is the light, the answer the days that are coming up. You look at all that's going on in our country. Everybody's looking at Wednesday, the inauguration day. In just my opinion, all of that's playing out should not totally surprise us. We know the end game as, as one deacon that I serve alongside with says. We know the end game. And if there's anything that, that this proves, it, it proves that there was such a need for an advocate to come in our place. We cannot trust in the world. We need to trust in him. Have a wonderful week. And I pray that you get a little bit more joy out of abiding in him. Dear Heavenly Father, as we depart this day after being in your word, as we go out of our houses into the highways and byways, we pray that we have the opportunity to share just a little bit of light into the darkness. We thank you for our time yesterday in churches all in and around wherever we are listening from today. We thank you for that freedom to worship you openly as an ecclesia. We thank you and praise you. Give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>